Hello, welcome to Raising the Bar podcast series. This podcast series is focused on artists. We highlight women and underrepresented creatives whose artworks encompass various layers which speak to their experiences and the communities which have shaped and molded them. We hope that our content inspires collectors, gallerists, and institutions across the globe to look closely at their works, explore and integrate their creative works into collections and archives which transcend beyond time. I am your host, Jewel Sparks, and let's get right to it. Today we're here with Rico Wrights. How are you doing today, sir? Doing very well, despite the snow today. You know, it was beautiful yesterday, close to 60 degrees in New York. And now we have like this light snow. So it's just slowing us down a little bit, but we're still going. Oh, wow. So you had snow. And for the first time, Berlin actually had some sunshine. And I was like, some vitamin D. It's crazy. I love like how we can be in different parts of the world and still like make some stuff happen here. Yeah. Um, first of all, I want to say thank you very much for taking the time uh, to talk uh, to us today. Uh, you've been doing some great things. It's really interesting when you're like outside of your own um, space, your own country. And I think that when people stand out, organizations, uh, galleries, institutions, uh, when they stand out on a global level, I think that that's a beautiful thing. And I think what you're doing has been really great. I think the first time that I stumbled upon your gallery was uh, actually that that time where you got vandalized, believe it or not. I believe it. And I just was like, what? What's going on? Because, you know, it's really, I'm really highly sensitive to everything that's been going on in the States, especially as a result of the pandemic, like kind of the healthcare care health disparities as well as like all the stuff that was going on uh with George Floyd and it just like it's been really interesting kind of seeing um what's been happening in the states and the transformation and 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 just the emergence of amazing art and artists like Instagram just blowing up and then the stories that the art has been telling and the people have been sharing it's been amazing actually so yeah yeah and in fact that you know that vandalism incident led to a lot of free press which in turn led a lot of people uh to visit the gallery and it was an incredible exhibition but like those things happen as they happen and I'm, I'm grateful to the ancestors for you know a- allowing something like that to be because like I mean when you curate an incredible group exhibition like your hope is that people will come like you have a lot of artists they have their fans and collectors but the amount of people who came on a daily basis surpassed any day that we had ever had and and the cool thing was like we'd show up to work to open the gallery and people were standing outside waiting to get in, right? Like that was super legit. But once they got inside, like they saw incredible art too, right? So that was great exposure um, for the gallery, for the artists and just for everything that that we're doing. I'm I'm really, I'm grateful in a really interesting way. Um, Again, it was really great um, to kind of see your spirit and kind of see like what you have been doing and uh, to engage and talk about our Midwestern roots. Um, And then I was like, wow, like I actually kind of understood even more probably why there was such this amplification 
of what you were doing and what you're doing at the Black Wall Street uh, Gallery. And I think uh, when that vandalism happened, there was a catalog that you had for sale. And I was like, hey, I think I'm going to be in town for Art Basel. I think I may swing through New York. And I think we ended up having to negotiate and go back and forth in terms of a time. So it was such a pleasure actually um, to take and spend some time with you and talk about what you've been doing, kind of what your goals are, how you support artists. And uh, because you do a lot in terms of helping them with marketing. I, think I, would, I would say this to you, we should, we should probably make this a series of talks, right? Because there, there is so much to share and so much to dive deeper into, should, should you have the time, right? But I think for those interested parties who are tuning in, like they would greatly appreciate like more depth with respect to some of these things. I mean, we could spend this entire podcast talking about Troy Jones. And there could be another one with Jeffrey Mello and another Absolutely. one with vision of this thing. And like, I mean, so I'm happy to give, you know, a, a slice here and there, but I, I do think that it might be great for us to like, think about a series of these talks. Would love to do that. I mean, I do have a podcast media company. It's been in operation for three years. So uh, yeah, that sounds great. Um, but I like what you're doing. So with that being said, I know um, we're both kind of on a type schedule. So um, when did you, like, how did you stumble upon, like, when did you become a gallerist? I think you have an interesting story there. So make it short and sweet, but I think it's a story that people should hear about, actually. Yeah, the long and short of that is when I went back home, uh, I started to just like, do, a, do an observation of the landscape. I wanted to understand what was going on politically and socially. And I noticed that there was still a high level of segregation back home. And back home, I'm meaning Tulsa, Oklahoma. And, you know, I saw all of these different creatives aspiring to do different things, but like there was really no true nucleus, like that thing that was like bringing them all together. And I didn't really want to break up the clicks. Tulsa is very clickish. And so I was like, no, I value clicks. Like that's community and people need that. But like, how are the clicks coming together? You know, so I started hosting these soirees summer 2018. And also at the time, Tulsa uh, had all of these galleries, but like nowhere could you see black art. And I was somewhat becoming friends with the gallerists, but I didn't really want to complain to them about what they didn't have, that's their operation. It's like, you know, they do whatever they want. Plus, I didn't want to really hear any kinds of critiques on black art by white galleries. Like I just really wasn't interested in that. And so at one of the soirees, I asked these black artists to bring in their works. And I became a curator. Like, I don't know what a curator is, to be honest. Like, I know I'm trying to curate some culture, but when it comes to art, like that's not that's not my my uh wheelhouse. And so it turned out great. I mean, there were hundreds of people at the soiree and they loved the art and they were engaging the artists about the works. And so later on that night, I was like, yo, maybe I should open up an art gallery or something. Really thinking about a community space, not really thinking about being a dealer and, you know, really collaborating with artists. So the next month I found a space uh, on Greenwood Avenue, which is in Black Wall Street. I was calling the soiree Black Wall Street soiree because I wanted there to be more emphasis on Black Wall Street than on the massacre because that's how it goes with, with Black history, right? Um, I also don't think that slavery is Black history, by the way, just to point that out, that's white history. 
And so the massacre to me is white history. That's actually not black history. Whereas Black Wall Street is black history, right? And so I was like, yo, the gallery is gonna be Black Wall Street Gallery. And like, I'm really going to just have these soirees now at the gallery for these openings. And it's just gonna be bigger and better. And that's, that was like the genesis of the whole thing. I think it's absolutely beautiful. So you kept having your soirees in Oklahoma. Yeah, I'm still having them now. You understand? I had one just a couple of Thursdays ago, you know. Yeah. But like, so when did you make that journey back from Oklahoma to uh, New York again? And then oh, so opening this gallery. Being a gallerist, I realized like Tulsa, and that's my hometown and I love it. And it, it has work to do, but like it doesn't have the clientele nor the environment um, to foster like a successful gallery. And I knew that New York was. I had spent time here for graduate school. I knew that it was the mecca of, of art. I thought a true foundation would be New York City. And it was interesting when I got here, bear in mind, I had a one-way ticket to New York for a week and then another one-way ticket to LA for a week because I came here to scout. I actually didn't come here to land on something. And something in my spirit kept telling me, go to Soho, go to Soho. And I'm like, all right, I used to live in Harlem, right? So like, naturally, I would go to Harlem. But I never do things that people expect me to do. I'm trying to figure out ways where if we're going to build generational wealth, I'm like that dude on the, uh, on the Instagram, I'm where the money resides. You understand? Yes, yes. That, that's important for me and for the artist. And so as I'm listening to these voices, like, go to Soho, go to Soho, I end up stumbling upon this guy to make a long story short, I got a space in Soho. And it was months later that I realized that Soho was the first black settlement in Manhattan in the mid 17th century when the yes. African slaves were freed from the Dutch. And I'm like, what? So I feel as if the ancestors were saying to me, go home. Meaning this is where we were before yes. the artists were here, before the fashion houses were here, like this is where we dwelled. And then when the gentrification happened, by the way, this was around the 18th, 19th century, they, Blacks got pushed to Seneca Village, which is now Central Park, right? So there's, there's so much history with respect to slavery in New York, and people assume that because it's the East, there is no uh, racism and, and there's no history of slavery, but there is, right? And so as part of this homecoming, it was also an opportunity to narrate the true story of like Soho and Black people and how we were here before. And so, you know, the fact that it's, it's sort of, it's like rare to think about a Black business being in this space, like that's how gentrification works. And I want to like shine a bright light on that because that's, I'm, I am completely against gentrification. Wow. Interesting. So good. So that space next door, we're going to like start like buying up some other spaces so we can make sure that we can have also build, keep building community, maybe. Yeah, exactly. There are benefits to gentrification in terms of, okay, now you got a bank in the, uh, in the community. Now you got a grocery store if you never had one, blah, blah, blah. But it's the fact that it's at the expense of certain other people and their livelihood being pushed right. in order for these developments to happen. I'm not okay with that. That's right. And by the way, your gallery is absolutely beautiful. And I really love how you also have space um, for artists to create um, and to expand work on commissions, et cetera. Um, something that really resonated um, with me.
Um, so how do you make the decision actually to represent certain artists? That's a great question. Um, a lot of it boils down to whether I see star power in them. There are tons of great artists out there. There are tons of great works out there, but there, there, there aren't the same number of superstar artists. And I mean, from personality to story to whether they have the longevity in them. And some artists you can just tell, you know, and I feel as if now I'm approaching this the same way that record labels approach music artists. You know, Def Jam isn't signing everybody that the A&Rs are meeting, but it's like, yo, do you have the star power? Whoever, whoever discovered Lil Wayne did a great job, for example, right? Because as a result of Lil Wayne, now you have, you know, this whole Young Money camp with Drake and Nicki Minaj and, and Tiger, like that is brilliant. And so with, with the artists whom I represent, like I want to create a community whereby, I mean, we have our own ecosystem, they support one another, they respect each other's work, but also that the public, therefore the art world, recognizes their talents, you know, and to put them in conversation with other people. For example, like Troy Jones has been mentioned uh, in the same vein as Barkley Hendricks today, right? And so it's like, okay, now we're on to something. What separates him from Barkley Hendricks? The mask. So I feel as if Troy is able to extend that conversation of what Barkley Hendricks was doing. And now we can talk about Barkley Hendricks and Troy Jones so that people know more about Barkley Hendricks, which they should, you know. And Troy Jones gets an opportunity to be elevated because curators are interested in that part of um, exhibitions. Like, how is this extending, you know, somebody's work or just the art world in general, et cetera? It's like, just like when one is in a PhD program, right? When you're, when you're doing your dissertation, you want it to be extending something or introducing something new. And that to me is just, it's just powerful. Sir, PhD philosopher. Um, <laughs> that's also beautiful. I mean, your bio, I really enjoyed it. Obviously, as I was looking over it uh, for the uh, jury, for the, the bar art journey. So uh, amazing and, and great things. Again, once again, I have nothing but positive things and vibes uh, coming your direction. How many artists um, actually do you currently represent? I think the number is at 15. Um, but the thing is, um, in the collaboration, there are artists with whom I'm working much more closely because they might have had an exhibition already or they might have been in a group exhibition already. And so their demand is higher. Um, and there are other artists who are working on building up their inventory. And so, you know, I provide counsel or guidance or critique, like we, we collaborate in that way for now. Um, but overall, like the, the 15 artists, like I'm in touch with them in some way, um, some more than others, but it's a matter of like, you know, as we have discourse and then they go back to their studios to do what they have to do, they then report back to me and we get a sense of where they are. I have them all on the calendar for solo exhibitions, but you're, we're talking, you know, a year and a half out. Um, I noticed also on your website, you do have um, where artists can submit uh, their works. So would you say that that's the best way for them to get your attention? I mean, obviously you proactively look and see artists and approach them yourselves, but um, let's say an artist, um, they really want to have you 
in their ecosystem and actually make sure that their art um, is exhibited at the Black Wall Street uh, Gallery? What's the best way for that potentially to, to happen um, for them? Yeah, they email uh, submissions at bwsgallery.com. We, we get a lot of submissions. I do look at all of them. Um, and I'm looking for certain things, you know, I'm, I'm reading the bio, uh, I'm reading the artist statement, I'm perusing the CV, like I'm looking to see if this person has had solo two-person group exhibitions, where, when, uh, any residencies. This is before I really start looking at the art, because I'm more interested in the, who this artist is. And then when I look at the art, I'm not necessarily looking for a particular style of art. I'm looking for authenticity and originality. And if, if, if that can be conveyed through the art where I can hear this person's voice and, and then I think about whether I'm in a position to amplify that voice, that's when I make that decision. Mm-hmm. Interesting, interesting. I represent anyone that is a member of an oppressed group. So person of color, woman, member of the LGBTQ community, Muslim in America, like that's who I rock with. So a straight, cis, white male, sorry, that's not the wave for us, right? Because that individual has had more access than the rest of us. And so I'm more interested in helping oppressed people to overcome and like Asada Shakur said, all oppressed people should be in solidarity. And so we promote that. I love it. I love it. What now, what artists um, basically, because I guess you've been back, this gallery has been in New York. Has it been about a year now? It's been over a year, since October 2020. Since October 2020. So that means how many solo artists, uh, solo shows actually have you had? And what, uh, I mean, they've all been dynamic. I mean, I just like actually the last three. I really am. <laughs> I mean, you also like Cal, which is great. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you like Cal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, that's a great question. How many solos have I done? Um, I would say at this point, it's been probably 10. Wow, um, you're busy. Do you sleep? I don't think so. Yeah, yeah. I, I, slept I, well this, I slept well last night. I slept so well that I was late to this thing that I was supposed to go to for fashion week. And the line was so long, I just came to the gallery. I said, forget it. But it was like three of these designers that had some really, uh, you know, some cool new collections. And I was invited to go from the people at the Soho House and the House of Ama. And um, yeah, I just, I, I slept too much. So yeah, I'm getting some rest. <laughs> okay, that's good. That's good. That's probably because you stayed up pulling all night the other day. Because I do think it was some crazy hour for me, and I was right. You were right back. So I was, it's like two o'clock a.m. It's time. And sometimes I like forget. I'm still like jet lagged trying to calibrate myself. But either yeah, way, get the Mercy Moyo artist talk. And then we were also looking at Troy Jones's work. Uh, it was just a fantastic time. So it was, it was a good evening. It just seemed later than it was last night. So that was kind of kind of weird. I don't know what that was about. Maybe because the artist talk was so early, it was five to seven, you know. Um, so as a gallerist, how would you like your gallery to be like positioned? Because I really think like the whole like art ecosystem is going through like a transformation. Like it has to. I mean, if you look at what's been happening in society, if you look at like also what collectors are demanding, what people, what society's demand, you know, kind of demanding. 
Um, but how would you say you want yourself, like let, let's fast track to like fall 2022. So where do you see like Black Wall Street ga uh, gallery as it relates to some of these other like quote unquote traditional galleries that in the past have always been kind of like the go-to place um, for art? I mean, I do believe that we're doing something that is unique and original. Um, part of, you know, like even when I was sharing with you that we uh, represent only artists who are of oppressed groups. I, I don't know of any other gallery that's doing that. I think our program is really strong. I mean, Jessica Alice Rocky sold out show, Jeffrey Mello sold out show, Troy Jones sold out show, Mercy Moyo. Listen, like these are unknown artists, you know, and part of what's going to be our legacy is that we collaborated with emerging artists when they had absolutely no collectors, no press, no media, and we helped to build their brands, which in turn builds the gallery's brand, right? And I just I strongly believe that we are the future of the art world. You know, I want to continue doing these kinds of things, and whether that's challenging the art world or just introducing something new and fresh. I like it. And I think it, again, it goes back to like, obviously, I, I think it's, you mentioned before about like, what's the star power? What's like the business? Like you look at when you're looking at artists, not just about their works of art, but like, are they ready? Are they ready for the journey? Are they ready uh, for the success, their bio, their, you know, the way they present themselves, um, their background, their experience. I mean, so I think you're looking at the whole like 360 degree um, package and I think that that's like really really important. So what artists can we expect to see in the gallery during 2020 the rest of 2022? Yeah so um, Corey Ford has uh, an upcoming solo. Uh, Mayumi Nicola has an, uh, a solo. Um, who else is coming? Delvin uh, Lugo. Um, Kevin Claiborne, I haven't actually publicly announced this. He just finished his uh, MFA at Columbia. Yeah. I don't represent him, but I'm collaborating with him for this solo exhibition. Um, Kevin is an exceptional artist. Um, he's, he's very conceptual. He is brilliant. And he's got some really important subject matter. Um, Ashley Chu will have a bigger solo. Um, and when I'm mentioning these solos, I'm talking about in the main gallery. I exhibit three artists at one time every month. Nice. In three different exhibition spaces, but it's the main gallery that's like the, the show, you know. And so I'm just going to go through uh, the roster and just like make sure I know when an artist is ready, right? Like I'm going to the studios, I'm seeing the works, we're, we're having dialogue. And I have on the calendar who's supposed to come. So I check in months in advance. And if they're ready, then we say, okay, it's a go. And if they aren't, then I, I give them some alternatives. I might put them in the East Wing or even the South Wing. And in that case, that's when I would collaborate with artists who I don't represent, but whose work I like. Nice. On, on average, how many works of art would you say an artist would need to have in order for you to think that they are ready? for them to basically exhibit in your main space? In the main space, honestly, if, if you had eight works, I could make it work. Nice, nice. I could do the spacing such that um, it could work, but I'm talking large scale, right? Because this is 3000 square feet. 
um, it could swallow a lot of smaller works. But at the same time, scale isn't everything. I mean, I remember at 21 Piece Salute, there were people who raved about the smallest piece by Joshua Griffin. It was a 24 by 16, perhaps, oil on canvas. Beautiful, like hauntingly beautiful. And yeah, there were people like, oh, this is the best work in, in the entire exhibition. Nice. And I was like, what? I was like, what? <laughs> like, it's really <laughs> wild. And that just goes to show that like scale isn't everything. You know what I mean? And, and I think for a lot of artists, they might need that scale to get people's attention. But then beyond that attention, it's like, okay, now show what you what you do. And yeah. that can be small scale, large scale, doesn't matter. Yeah, what's your unique USP? Um, so I'm really happy, actually, that you're a, a member of the jury for the Bar Art Journey. And with that being said, um, what is something that you think that we should ask the artists who actually, because the, there's only six artists that actually would be able to take uh, advantage of the opportunity, six per year, um, five countries, but what's something that you think uh, we should ask the artists, uh, since there's only six of them that can come for six weeks to Berlin and basically shake, shake the leaves, experience psychological safety, um, step out of America post, you know, like it's not post pandemic, but like pandemic times, uh, post uh, George Floyd, Trayvon, all that stuff. What do you think is a question that we should ask? Every time I engage with an artist, I want that artist to be able to speak to his or her work. I'm telling you, I've seen it where I'm with the collector, could be even a mega collector, and I'm introducing them to, uh, to the artist and I get out the way. And it's at that moment that that artist has to speak to his work. Why did you choose this? Who are these people? Do you know them? What's the relationship? Like all of that is critical. So the question I would ask the artist is, okay, can you tell me about your work? And if so, let me hear you explain any one of your works. And it's not about being eloquent. It's about being thorough and intentional in, in, in sharing that, right? Like if, if you're passionate about your work, I'm likely going to become passionate through your passion, right? But if you're just like, oh, you know, I just wanted to do something, you know, no, no big deal. Like, yo, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yo, you, you, you ain't got no enthusiasm and, and you want me to add this work to my collection? Furthermore, I'm trying to dig your personality. Like, you know what I mean? So it's like, I, I definitely encourage artists to be themselves and to like find their voice, but also like, you should be able to speak about your work. Like you should be the master of your craft in that in that way. And so there's absolutely no reason why you can't narrate something for a person who has no idea who you are, knows nothing about your work, but by the end of that conversation, that person could speak about your work to someone else. That's when you know you've hit a home run. You're absolutely right, because it's about the artist pitching their work, just like us as collectors, we have to pitch why we want a work in our collection. Correct. You know, Correct. so there's some, I dealers, there's some dealers who interview collectors. Yo, um, they cross the leg like this. Uh, so why, why should I sell you this work? Why, absolutely. why should I add this artist to your collection? What are you going to do for the artist? Absolutely. I just had that same question as Freeze is coming up, and there was a piece that I saw, and it's like, hey, 
because you need to tell us a little bit more so we can then like when we go to the table we can potentially pitch and so maybe you be get the bid for it maybe you'll be the one that receives the work of art so i think you're absolutely right so rico um thank you very much for your time is there anything else uh, before we close that you'd like to share or communicate or pitch uh, to the world about what you're doing there and what's next listening you can you can find uh black wall street gallery on instagram bws.gallery we've got a website we're on artsy um you, you listen we're on every wave we can be on um because exposure is everything and these artists are working hard creating beautiful works um i'm constantly like reminding people that like we are only three years old so like there there is this incredible amount of support and we said we're just going to take advantage of, of the time and it's it's been it's been a great ride thus far and we're looking forward to what's to come and i'm saying to you like i, I love when um, i'm able to engage with someone because that information is how people become more informed about our program about the artists specifically about the exhibitions about the community space that we have here because it's more than just a gallery um, and so I would I would love to do many more of these these talks with you, Jewel, and really like in-depth conversation, like highlighting things is is okay, but I'm really about like getting into like the nitty-gritty and, and substance of, of things. I am too. So thank you for your time. This is the the beginning of something I'm sure even greater. So uh looking forward to seeing you soon and have a great rest of your day. Thanks for joining yeah, thank us. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me for sure. You're very welcome. Okay. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to this episode of Raising the Bar podcast series. This series is brought to you by Bithouse Group and Bar Art and Residency. Once again, my name is Jewel Sparks. And at BAR, we love to hear about your favorite artists and we welcome you to recommend them to us as a guest for our series. You can connect with BAR Art and Residency via LinkedIn or follow BAR Residency on Instagram. Please send an email to info at barbaarresidency.com. Thanks again for tuning in and until next time.